Hello, hockey fans, and welcome to the podcast. This is the Vegas Hockey Podcast. I'm Mark Warner, and along with Chris Litza, we're going to be talking today about uh, the Florida Panthers and Dallas Stars expansion in the National Hockey League and a bunch of other stuff as it comes up. Today, we're going to welcome in a guest, Matt Pryor. He blogs for the Hockey Writers covering the Florida Panthers and Dallas Stars. Matt, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to do this for us. Uh, so we're going to start off. We're going to go around the league and check. Really, right now, you know, we're a week away from the regular season, so I want to look at the rosters. And I've got a I've got a Stanley Cup team here on inj- on the injured list right now. We could go. The Ducks get Slafis hurt. The Bruins have Chara and Seidenberg out. The Flames, TJ Brody broke his hand. Uh, Jerome McGinley's out. Darren Helm, Pavel Datsuk, Eric Cole, and Daniel Alfredson have been hit. The Kings lost Matt Green and Jake Muzzin, two of their starting defensemen. Max Pacioretty, Kyle Palmieri, Patrick Elias from the Devils. Yara Halak, Thomas Hickey, and Steve Bernier from your New York Islanders, Chris. Uh, Derek Broussard, Dan Girardi from the Rangers, Victor Hadman's heard, and and that's just the highlights. We could go on and on with guys that have already been dinged up. Um, my question to you guys is, is the preseason too long, or could they structure it differently and allow the guys a week or so in camps, getting accustomed to game activity again, contact? I mean, it is a physical sport. Chris was talking off the air that guys are going to get dinged up. That's that's the nature of the business. But I just think coming into coming into camp on Friday, taking your physical, skating for for two days, and playing a game might be might be a contributing factor to that. Um, if you could get into camp on a Friday and then skate for a week, do your three on three, your line rushes, your drills, take some contact, get accustomed to it again, and then start playing game shape. Do you guys think that could uh, cut down on some of these preseason injuries we're seeing, Chris? Um, yeah, I mean, like you said, I think the main point is you know hockey is a physical sport. Um, it is a bit of a war of attrition, um, and obviously, uh, you know, coming up from the uh, label of the off season. You know, players could be a little more injury-prone. But I, I agree. This is something the league should look at. Uh, the league is at its best. Every sports league is at its best when it, when its players are fully healthy. Uh, it's a big problem the NFL has, uh, different uh, different sort of encyclopedias. But I think the NHL should look at maybe they can start camp a little bit early earlier. What, what improvements, little improvements can they make to try and cut down the injuries, but injuries are always going to be a factor. Matt, has uh, has anything from Florida or Dallas? Has anybody come up hurt? I haven't. I didn't see anything from there. Uh, there haven't been any major injuries that I've seen. Uh, I know for the Stars, uh, Jason Spezza was uh, out uh, just for a couple days, but uh, there was. They didn't even put out any word as to what the issue was, other than I think Lindy Ruff said that uh, uh, the parts were on back order. Uh, <laughs> I love Lindy Ruff. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So they, they've been, uh, both the teams have been fortunate thus far, injury-wise. 
Um, I, you know, I think it's it's really hard to guard against any sort of uh, preseason injuries uh, because it's a contact sport and because uh, stuff just happens. I mean, uh, look at Brandon Sod up in Columbus. You know, in practice, he, he took a puck in the mouth and had to have, what was it, four root canals? Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that wasn't even in a preseason game. It was just practice. Uh, so I, I think the best thing that uh, that can be done is, is what's already being done, which is the, the players are, I think, for the most part, coming into camp in great shape already. Um uh, you know, I don't have any numbers on it, but I think in the past, just in the past two or three years, we've probably seen fewer uh, groin injuries in in preseason and in October than we saw in years past. And, uh, you know, the, the pulled groins, strained groins, and so forth, uh, it, it seems to me that, you know, five, ten years ago, that was quite common. Um but I think players are taking better care of themselves now, and and uh, that I don't know how much more in a contact sport uh, like hockey you could do. Yeah, they are. There's, uh, like you said, recently there has been a whole lot more emphasis placed on the off-season conditioning programs, um, and that does help for sure. I don't know. I just I hate to see. I mean, Detroit. They brought in a couple good free agents this year. I was kind of excited to watch them play, and then you lose Datsuk, Alfredson for I don't know how long, but just kind of a shame. Just kind of a shame. Anyway, let's uh, let's go out east down to the South Florida. Um, last year, Florida Panthers missed the playoffs by eight points. They do bring in Riley Smith, and their top line now gets the benefit of having Yarm or Yager on board for a full season. Um, does that is that enough? to push them back into the playoffs? Well, you know, um, it, it might be. It just might be. I mean, there, there are a lot of question marks, and, and uh, you know, I, I hate to start off with a cliche, but it's, it's why they play 82 games. Uh, yep. I would say uh, that, you know, what the Panthers have going for them right now is, number one, uh, Roberto Luongo, um, you know, he's, he's going to be 37, I believe, in April, but he is still in his prime. I mean, last season, his save percentage was 921, uh, goals against 2.35. Uh, he, he is solid, and, and I think he gives the entire team a lot of confidence. Um, 100%, 100%. And uh, from, you know, it starts with the crease and goes outward. Their defense, you know, of course, Ekblad, you, you got the Calder Trophy winner from last season. And and uh, I, I think he's only going to get better from there. Um, I The one thing I would question where their defense is concerned is is that Campbell and Ekblad um, were the only two, if you look at advanced uh, statistics. They they were the only two uh, with a positive uh, Corsi, uh, the relative Corsi of, above fifty percent. Right. Uh, and uh, the everyone else is a minus. So so you got those two guys, Campbell and Eckblad, are possession drivers 
for the team, and, and they're paired together. Um, so, of course, that's great when they're on the ice, but there are two other D pairs that could use some help. So I'm, it seems to me it would make sense to split them up, but, but then the question is, is Ekblad ready to play without Campbell? Uh, so how that, would, that remains. How would, Ekblad, how would Ekblad fit with Mil- Willie Mitchell as a partner? Uh, you know, I, I think that could be a good pairing. In fact, I, I was about to say maybe Ekblad and Mitchell and uh, and then uh, Campbell and Goodbranson. Because uh, you've, got, you've got a good mix of, of puck-moving uh, defensemen with stay-at-home defensemen. Absolutely. There. And uh, so it, it makes me wonder why they haven't, uh, I, at least I haven't seen them try that. Uh, so far in preseason. Well, one thing I'll say uh, about Willie Mitchell, I'm a Kings fan, so I I know Willie Mitchell well, and when Dowdy came up, Willie Mitchell was his mentoring D partner, and that obviously worked out pretty good. (laughs) Um, So that, I I, I don't know, it seems like a natural fit to me knowing Willie Mitchell's game, and uh, Aaron Eckblad being... You know, upside offensive defenseman is off the charts for him. Um, I, I'd like to see that pairing myself. That and that's going to take a lot of a lot of strain off of Luongo if you do split that Corsi pair up. Right, right. That that makes sense. And and you know, actually, uh, it on the flip side, it also makes sense what you're saying about Mitchell. Uh, I guess maybe the goal in Florida right now is to have him mentor Good Branson, and and uh, although I don't know how much more Good Branson needs, he is 23 and and uh, he's uh, been in the league for what three years now. Yeah, I think that's 40. right. Uh, so maybe maybe it is time uh, that they they put. Campbell with Good Branson and and uh, kind of, kind of let Good Branson and Ekblad stand on their own two feet. I'd like to see so that. that. I'd like that, to see that. Forward course still looks to uh, you know largely still intact from last season. Um, one yes. One stat I saw. Um, I don't goal scoring is not going to be an issue. Uh, Huber and Barkoff look to just keep getting better and better, and, and like I said, Yager coming in being being a full season. Riley Smith gives you a little depth if he can, you know, bring his play up to a consistent contributor. Um, forward core looks to be pretty solid there. They they certainly do. Uh, in fact, they they've kind of got an embarrassment of riches right now. Uh, you know, when I was doing the season preview. For the Panthers, uh, for the hockey writers, I was I was trying to come up with realistic line combinations, and uh, the the problem I kept having is where do you put Brandon Peary? I mean, the guy scored twenty two goals in forty nine games last season, uh, and I had him slotted in on either the third or fourth line. I kept bouncing back and forth because. Of Lawson Kraus, their number one draft pick this past summer. Do you think he's um, going to make it, the team? That was another one of my questions. Since you bring him up, is do you think he'll make the team? You know, they're going to give him every opportunity, and I, 
Uh, frankly, at this point, I would be surprised if he doesn't at least start the season with the Panthers and play, uh, you know, the nine games before they potentially send him back down to Major Junior. Right. Uh, they're they're going to give him every chance, and I think it's because they want to give him as much exposure to Yarmir Yager's mentorship as possible. It's a good uh, idea. That that's the. Yager, to me, that's the key, uh, even more so than than his offensive flair and, and all that. What these guys, these young guys, can learn from him, um, you, you can't put a price tag on that. For sure. And uh, so um, it, it'll be interesting to see. I think, I think they're going to start the season uh, with Kraus, my – he could slip as low well as the third line, but uh, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised to see him on the second line. Um, I know there's been talk also of, of wanting to keep Peary and Smith together because they uh, played together uh, as as kids. I think even before Major Junior, they they played together, and. Um, so it, a second line of Peary, Bugstad, Smith makes sense. Um, and then uh, Kraus, if you put if you put Kraus on the third line, then your fourth line left wing is UC Jokinen. And, uh, you know, Jokinen's still got plenty of gas in the tank. He's, he's good on special teams. Um, the guy can contribute. And, and do you really want someone like that on your fourth line? Uh, that's it, it's a good problem to have, really. Well, maybe perhaps uh, uh, if they get to the middle of the season and they're they're where I think they will be is right around the seven, eight, nine spot, competing for a playoff spot this year. Um, maybe they make a move and bring in a, a solid stay-at-home defenseman to round that part of the roster out. That's certainly a possibility. Um, they've uh, they've got such depth, uh, young depth. I mean, because we haven't even touched on Rocco Grimaldi, <laughs> right? Um, you know, he's he's a top six forward, and he's got an ankle injury right now. So I I guess that's the one you asked about injuries. There you I, go. I completely based off Grimaldi. Uh, yeah, Grimaldi's got an ankle injury, and uh, it's looking like he's going to start the season on IR. I, I saw yesterday that they they think he might start skating next week. Um, so uh, this this has really been a setback for him, and he's he's probably going to have to start the season once he's healthy. Start the season up in Portland, uh, and and wait for a chance because. There's just so, so much depth in front of him, and and I think really what it comes down to is on the wings. The Panthers have four left wings and four right wings who can all play on the top three lines right now. That's a good problem to have. <laughs> it it really is. Let me bring in Chris. Chris, uh, I know we talked about the Panthers quite a bit when we were doing our preview there. Um, what questions did you still have out there about this squad? I have two questions for Matt, one on ice, one off ice. 
uh, Matt, in doing the preview, I feel the key to the Panthers' uh, potential success this year is going to be has to be the improvement of their specialty specialty teams. I, I agree. I think they will be much better than a bottom five scoring team. I could even see them with with the improvements they've brought in, the youngsters getting better, moving to you know maybe a middle of the pack. But I still expect this team to play a lot of close games, a lot of one goal games, which they did last year. Forty eight of their eighty two games last year were one goal games. And they were 24th both on the power play and the penalty kill. And when I look at that, I just say, this is because they have to greatly improve on those specialty teams and maybe get your insights on that and also why do they struggle so much on, on, on those units. Well, I, I would agree that special teams are going to be key and um, improving their uh, is well, yeah. They just got to do it because they played so many tight games. And uh, in fact, that that's something else I was going to touch on is uh, they played uh, more. They went to more shootouts than any other team in the league last season, and they went eight and ten in shootouts. They also went one and five in overtime, and. And we know because of three-on-three, three, there's going to be a drastic reduction in the number of shootouts. More games are going to be decided in OT. So with that win percentage in OT for the Panthers last season, if you extrapolate that, uh, they're going to be sunk if, if they can't, well, number one, win more games in regulation, and special teams is going to help in that regard, certainly. Uh, and number two, they've got to learn to win in OT. But uh, as as far as the, the power play and uh, penalty kill, they're still experimenting. I, I saw just this morning, um, and and this is rather bizarre to me because you know we were just talking earlier about the defensive pair of Mitchell and Goodbranson being a shutdown pair. And, and this morning in practice, uh, they were paired up on the uh, second power play unit. Hmm. And, uh, and the, you know, of course, Eckblad and Campbell were on the first unit. And when I saw them the other night um, uh, play Dallas, uh, they had uh, Campbell and Eckblad split up, and Eckblad was with Petrovich. And uh, I believe Campbell was with Good Branson uh, on the power play, so they're they're still trying to figure that out. Um, I, I think uh, Yager is going to help with the power play, um, and I think uh, Dave Boland and and uh, Derek McKenzie uh, with with Boland healthy. Uh, I think that penalty kill is going to improve. Uh, that that may be the biggest factor for them is is Bowen's health because he gosh how many games did he miss last season um, I I can't recall now I I want to say he missed about thirty games yeah quite a bit uh, let's see I have it right here uh, Bowen yes he played in fifty three games last year yeah so he missed twenty nine games. Yeah, that, that's 
that that's a significant loss, you know, when one of your top penalty killers is out that long. I will tell you one so, thing, Matt. Uh, I'll trade you the Kings overtime and shootout records for the for the Panthers right now. <laughs> if, uh, if if the Kings had had that record, they would have uh, been the seventh seed in the playoffs last year instead of missing it they entirely. Might have won the division. Yeah, they could have won the division because what did we say they were three and three and fifteen? Three and fifteen. Yeah, th- uh, I'll, I'll take your I'll take your eight and ten and and see you a playoff berth there, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the second question I had, and uh, you're not to put you on the spot, but in terms of the off the ice, um, and I haven't seen a lot of stories about this. And I know the NHL, I'm sure, wants everything to work with the Panthers, and everyone, I mean, as a hockey fan, I want it to work as well. But just in passing and looking in the newspaper box scores last year, especially when the Panthers were uh, at home during the week, it just jumped out at me. My eyes caught it that they had a lot of nights of those during the week games of eight to half half filled arenas, eight thousand plus uh, attendance. Um, should be should we be concerned about the future of the Florida Panthers in terms of staying in South Florida? I mean, uh, is this a potential team that could wind up in Seattle? Uh, you know, I'm. I'm going to run contrary to conventional wisdom here and say that, that no, I don't think we have to worry. I don't think they're going to go anywhere as long as they do reach their potential and become a perennial playoff contender. You know, if, if they could put together a string of, of uh, say, three or four or five years uh consecutive years in which they make the playoffs and win a round or two, the fans are going to come back. Um, they, the biggest reason for the dip in, in uh, attendance is that uh, they stopped giving out freebies, uh, stopped giving away tickets because it was eroding the season ticket holder base. Um, these season ticket holders, you know, who are paying 80, 90, 100 bucks a pop for tickets were frustrated because they'd go to games and the people sitting next to them got their seats for free. And uh, so so uh, when Vinny Viola bought the team, uh, he came in and said, no more freebies. And, and uh, they decided they would just tough it out with, with the lower attendance and and they're banking on the team the the on ice performance to draw the fans back in and really you know i've i've heard people say that florida is just it's a lousy market uh for hockey but the truth is if you look at the other major sports teams in the miami area uh it's a lousy market for sports. I agree with that. I agree with that 100%. Unless you win. I mean, uh, I was just curious, and yesterday I looked up, uh, for example, the Miami Heat. In 2004, after they'd gone two consecutive years without making the playoffs, their attendance was 24th out of 29 teams in the NBA. 
And the next year, after they had their playoff run in 04, the next year attendance jumped from 24th to 4th. Hmm. Uh, and this year so far, the Dolphins are playing at uh, 86% of capacity. The Marlins are uh, just under 58% of capacity. Uh, just, I think there are so many uh, options for uh, people who love the water. You know, you can go to the beach. You can go deep-sea fishing. You can, if you're in the Miami area, you know, it's, it's a couple hours down to Key West, um, you're, you're just a couple hours from Disney World, you, you've got so many other options, uh, so many other places you can spend your time and money, why would you want to spend it on a team that's not winning and is not entertaining? And that, that goes yeah. for any, any sport. Uh, also, too, uh, you, Matt, you know better than me, but how many playoff appearances do they have in the last number of years? It's a, it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty rough stat. So I can see you know it's hard to pluck down one's fifty, sixty, seventy dollars uh, you know to go see a game sometimes unless you if you're beyond the diehard fan. Right, right, and yeah, they made the playoffs. Uh, was it three years ago? Uh, lost to New Jersey in the first round, and and that's their. Only playoff appearance in the last 14 seasons. Wow. I, I, I thought it was something like that. Wow. T- tough to draw. That's wrong. But, uh, and you know, I think, correct, yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, is that, was that the year they went to the cup final? New Jersey, uh, yeah. Years ago? Oh, yes, yes. Wow. And, uh, yeah, in New Jersey. It took New Jersey to overtime of game seven to, to knock the Panthers off. Yep. Well, t- taking all that into account, um, Dallas, who also doesn't have a stellar playoff history, um, seems to be rebounding nicely with the attendance. Uh, what What are they doing to get fans into the into the seats without a winning pedigree, if you will? Um, I, I think it's twofold. Uh, number one is uh, plain and simple. They're entertaining. Um, that you know, it was a few years ago. I, I remember going to a Stars game with my wife, and and uh, I, I turned to her halfway through the third period, and I said, "You know, I'm I'm okay with them losing, but not like this." It's, it's not even fun to watch. Uh, and that was a few years ago. And, and last year, uh, yeah, they lost some frustrating games, but, you know, they're losing games 5-4 to four and, and so forth. It, a lot of scoring. It, they've got so much talent, and, and uh, they're just entertaining, and that, that draws people in. Uh, the other factor the all-five factor is Tom Gillardi buying the team, uh, you know, bringing the Stars out of bankruptcy. Um, while the Stars were in bankruptcy, uh, they cut way back on advertising, you, you know, driving around Dallas. You didn't see billboards for the Stars. You didn't see commercials on TV for the Stars or, or hear them on the radio. 
their their footprint was just greatly reduced, and and the the combination of that and the lack of of uh, playoffs um, really hurt them uh, with with your casual fans, and and uh, there are a lot of casual fans here in the Metroplex. Uh, it's it's not as bad as as the situation in the Miami market, but really here, unless your your team's name is the Dallas Cowboys, you you need to win to pack them in. Right. Um, but what is good to see is with the the ownership, as you said, coming out of bankruptcy, starting to rebuild your fan base rebuild your franchise that in the in the offseason here they went out they spent some good money they brought in uh patrick sharp and johnny oduya obviously stanley cup champion pedigrees um willing to willing to take those salary cap hits and then anthony Nimi signs at 3.2 million per tying up roughly nine and a half million dollars in cap space in the goaltender position alone is there a definitive number one goalie on this franchise as we come out of the preseason? Uh, there is not. It, there is a, a battle uh, that's still going on. They're, they're waiting for one goalie to seize the, the starting job and then the other one to battle to take it away from him. And uh, neither one has, has really distinguished himself yet they they both had good moments and bad you know in in the game the other night uh, against florida uh Lettinen, he he was solid until late in the third period uh you know he goes behind the net to play the puck and uh lost track of the four checker and quentin howden comes in and takes the puck from him passes it out front to Connor Brickley, and Brickley has an empty net goal, and that was the game winner right there. Ouch. And Yeah, and, <laughs> and what's, what's concerning about it is that we saw that kind of thing a lot last season from, from Lettman. Um, and uh, I, I haven't had the chance to see Niemi play in a preseason game. I've just seen him in scrimmages. But I, what I've heard about the preseason games is that he's, he's given up a lot of long rebounds uh, that are being turned into scoring chances. And, and so uh, both goalies have work to do. Uh, but I don't think the Stars necessarily, though they would like one of them to seize the starting job, and that would be ideal, I think they'll be fine if they can just get league average goaltending out of both of them. Uh, neither one needs to be an all-star. They just need to be at the league average because the, the Stars' team save percentage last year was 895. That was uh, 29th in the league. And that, that alone killed their playoff hopes. I'll tell you what, when... As a Kings fan, it seems like Kerry Lettinen, every time Dallas and, and L.A. meet up, that guy's on his head phenomenal. Um, I don't know what the numbers are. I don't know what his stats are against the Kings. But the consistency level with Kerry Lettinen hasn't been there because I, I've seen him play all-star level goal um, against the Kings. And when you said his save, save percentage for the team was under 9 last year, under 90%, whatever, 
um i was i was surprised just now when you said that but uh maybe maybe uh maybe Naomi comes in and gives them one one a but you know the old saying if you have two goaltenders you don't have any so um i was wondering how that was going to shake out the other thing uh florida and dallas playing each other there in your backyard that must have been fun since you cover both teams huh That that was uh, it was a lot of fun, and uh, it, it's also I discovered it's it's uh, kind of hard to to track things when you're so interested, so focused on both teams. Uh, but I'm I'm going to try it again. I'm I'm going to the game, uh, the Stars at Florida um, in a couple weeks here on uh, October seventeenth, and then the return game uh here in dallas the panthers and stars on the 24th so nice i'll have a couple more chances to to uh drive myself crazy <laughs> nice so they bring in they bring in oduya and another another youngster from chicago stephen johns on the defensive side of things was he playing the other night did you get to see him play the youngster um i saw him in uh, scrimmages um i if I remember correctly, he didn't play the other night, um, and uh, he's he's been sent back down to uh, Cedar Park, uh, so he's going to start the season with the Texas Stars. Okay. Uh, the The issue that Dallas has is uh, they've got three young defensemen who are maybe not quite ready for prime time, but they would have to clear waivers to be sent down. Hmm. Uh, that's uh, Yoki Paka, Nimeth, and Alexiak. And so they're keeping all three of them in Dallas, and uh, they're going to start the season with 8D, and uh, really only the top two pairs are set right now. It's, it's looking like uh, Goldowski and Klingberg uh, as the top pair, and then Oduya and Demers uh, on the second pair, and then Jordy Ben with one of the three guys i just mentioned on a rotating basis as the third pair that looks to be their uh that looks to be the question mark there is the defense gonna stand up enough in front of the two goaltenders to uh i mean scoring scoring is not going to be a problem they also as you said an embarrassment of riches in the forward core um putting the puck in the net like you said exciting brand of hockey um gotta gotta do a little more on defense and help those goaltenders out and get the average goaltending from them. I, I when we did our yet to be released uh, division preview, I think I did have them either in or just barely out of the playoffs. I I, I forget. You'll have to. Oh, I think you you had Dallas in, Mark. I did. I was gonna. I was just about to say you'll have to listen to the other podcast to to hear my prediction. But uh, you 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 let the cat out of the bag, Chris. <laughs> no, I did, yeah, and I, I like I like that. I like bringing in in the the Stanley Cup champion pedigrees with Sharp and Odilia. I don't think there's enough to be said for the culture of a room and changing it from a. a, a uh, perennial underperformer, if you will, to uh, championship pedigree. Mike Richards did that for the Los Angeles Kings. Um, they had missed the playoffs nine straight seasons, 
and the year after he came on board, they won the Stanley Cup. So it, it's a it's a question of culture and, and mentorship, like we were talking a little bit about the defense corps and Willie Mitchell on the Panthers. Um, I think Patrick Sharp and Johnny Oduya can bring that presence to this team. I really like that part of it. And Anthony Nima, don't forget, he has a Stanley Cup with Chicago as well. So I, I, I really like what they did in the offseason, and, and I'd love to see the ownership putting it into the franchise. Um, I think the future is really bright in Dallas. Chris? Yeah, I just had a couple of quick hits um, for Matt. Um, you know, it's funny, uh, Lindy Ruff, I mean, I know Lindy Ruff well, being the this neck of the woods up here in New York. Uh, he was the coach of the Sabres for so long, I know how his, his played, so... The fact that the that the stars were near the bottom and goals given up per game means he whatever little hair he has left, he must have been pulling it out. Um, my first question is, how much can Matt? Do you blame? Obviously, the stars needed to be better in goal; they needed to be stronger on the blue line. But how much responsibility do the forwards take? I mean, were they doing? Uh, were they playing smart defensive ha- hockey when they had to? How much? of the equation of the stars finishing tied for 26 in defense last year do the uh, forwards shoulder the blame for? Uh, you know, the, the forwards do uh, take on a lot of that uh, blame. There, there's been a lot of talk. Uh, I've seen quotes from Tyler Sagan and, and Spezza and Ben. Uh, they've all talked about how at the start of last season, uh they sort of had this mindset that, you know, we've, we've got the firepower. We can outscore anyone. And, and so the, the focus was all on offense. And uh, the Stars have been working. They, they started from day one of training camp. The first drills they did um, were, were uh, focused on moving the puck out of the defensive zone as a unit. You know, they started with five-on-fives and then just went to five-on-o. Uh, you know, just the coach would dump the puck in, they collect it, and, and move it out of the zone and move up ice as a unit. So um, the, the focus is there this season, uh, and I, I don't think they're going to make the same mistake they made last year. They really torpedoed them by Thanksgiving. Uh, 20 games into the season, they, they really were out of the playoff hunt. And uh, and I think this year is going to be different. And my other question has to do with their two youngsters. We could touch base. Uh, you mentioned Klingberg, uh, who I think is kind of like one of those under-the-radar guys that could really, I mean, could really break out. I mean, as much as the Stars struggled last year, uh, giving up goals, he still was a plus five. He had 40 points. If you think he's ready to take even that next step, and maybe by the end of this season, people are going to be talking about him as maybe one of the best young defensemen in the league. And the second part, which uh, due to his injury last year, uh, and uh, he did not play many games at all, and that's Valerie Nikishkin. I mean, he only played eight games last year, and it seems to me that his potential is, you can't. It's unlimited. If you could talk about those two guys. Okay. Well, uh, first, Klingberg. Um, certainly, the hope is that he will continue to uh, move forward 
this season. You know, of course, there, there's a reason we all talk about the sophomore slump, uh, and it, it seems to apply to every sport. Um, it doesn't necessarily apply to every player, and certainly the Stars hope it does not apply to Klingberg. Um, but, uh, you know, I've, I've heard comparisons of Klingberg to uh, Eric Carlson, and uh, I, I don't think that's too far off. Um, he's, wow. he's, he's really, we're not sure what his ceiling is yet. Um, and I think Klingberg's only 22, uh, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think he's 21, 21, 22, yeah. Uh, he just yeah. turned, actually just turned 23. That's right, just turned 23. So, um, he's, he's definitely got room to grow, and it's, uh, I, I know the stars and, Stars fans are just really excited to see what he's going to do this year. Um, now, as far as Nichushkin, uh, he has struggled a bit uh, here in the preseason. And, in fact, I, um, I asked uh, Lindy Ruff after the, the game the other night uh, about Nichushkin. And, and I, all I asked was, do you like him better on the left or right? Uh, because they've been bouncing him back and forth between left and right wing. And uh, uh, Ruff gave me a lot more in response uh, beyond that. Uh, he, he did say he prefers him on the left wing, uh, but also said he, he still hasn't quite found his game. Um, and uh, he, he said it's the, the quickness, uh, making, making quick enough decisions with the puck, uh, just basically getting back up to NHL speed is the issue, and, and uh, Ruff stressed that he's got to be patient with Nachushkin, and, and I think uh, that's really what it's going to take is, is just some patience because, uh, you know, when you stop and think that Nachushkin played in the NHL as an 18-year-old and put up, I think, 34 points, uh, uh, you know, for someone... Not only as an 18-year-old, but his first season in North America, uh, to, to have a season like that is, is pretty remarkable, I think. But then his second season was it was a lost year. He only played eight games last year. And so now he's 20 years old, and he's, he's technically starting his third season in the NHL, but he essentially took a year off from hockey because of injuries. Um, so it's it's just going to take time. I I was hoping to see in training camp and, and through the preseason that that he would get back up to NHL speed faster, but he's not progressing as as fast as uh, anyone hoped. Uh, so now this is I, I will say this is just speculation on my part. I haven't heard uh, a word about this anywhere else. Um, but I would not be surprised if he at least started the season in the AHL and, and played, you know, eight to ten games just to get up to speed uh, and then got called back up to Dallas. That would not surprise me, especially with the play of Matthias Janmark. Um, he, he has been a revelation so far in, in preseason for the Stars. And uh, and he could 
potentially be uh, he could at least fill in on the second line uh, while Nachushkin is is uh, finding his game again. So, yeah, I actually uh, interview. I, while you were talking, man, I was just thinking, you know, a smart move might be. I mean, you know, like you said, I mean, having Nachushkin start in the AHL. I mean, you know, he basically missed the whole year last year. So, I mean, I, I don't think that's, uh, you know, it's not a punishment. It's it's just let him get his minutes in, get his game together, because obviously, as you know, being in the very tough central division, um, every point is going to be precious. So, uh, um, so um, yeah, that, that would be the smart play. And if he has points up spending the month of October in the AHL and then he's ready to rock and roll, then... And then you then you call, then you bring him back up. Right. It, it would be better for him to do that, I think, than to struggle in the NHL and and maybe find himself on the third or fourth line in Dallas. I agree. I, I think probably you know eighteen to twenty minutes a night down in Cedar Park is going to benefit him more than eight to ten minutes a night in Dallas. For sure. For sure. One one final question before we get on to some of the expansion news from yesterday. If you had to put smart money on either the Panthers or the Stars making the playoffs this year, where would your money be? Oh, that's a tough one. Yeah. Um, I, I, honestly, I, I like them both. Um, uh, but believe it or not, I think the Panthers may have the easier road uh, playing playing in the Atlantic Division, um, that I was I was looking uh, last night at just the Panthers and Stars records against their respective divisions last season, and the Panthers were sixteen nine and five, and uh, I, I don't think it's too much of a stretch uh, for them to with a full season of Yager uh, to improve on that. Whereas the the stars were eight, fourteen, and seven against the Central Division. That's got to get better. Uh, it oh, but most definitely. It's a brutal division. Yeah, I think I think we called the Atlantic the worst team, the worst division in hockey, and I think mm-hmm. we called the Central yeah. the best team in hockey. So that's that's a good point yeah, based division. on uh, based on the level of competition in the respective, not just not just in their divisions, but even in the conferences, the Panthers may have an easier path to get into the playoffs. But I have Dallas in. Uh, I, I just, I like what they did. I, I like the culture they brought in with the, with the two Blackhawks. Whew. All right. Well, yesterday we had uh, the last two expansion candidates. They made their their final proposals to the executive board. And then Gary Bettman held his typical press conference afterwards with the uh, no timeline for expansion and if we consider this. And, you know, being in Vegas, I've, I've obviously paying a lot of attention to that. And those are all things he's been saying for over a year now. Um, so I don't, I don't put too much stock in, in much of that. The, the one thing... Did you guys hear anything out of Batman that that uh, between the lines maybe that I missed on? Chris, you go first, Matt. Matt, uh, no, I think I think uh, it's it's just the same level of caution that 
that he has exhibited throughout the process. Um, uh, you know, doesn't doesn't want to talk out of turn. I think, and and is just I, you know, I I think it's kind of a foregone conclusion that they're going to expand both to Quebec and to Las Vegas. I, I think it just really makes a lot of sense uh, at this point in time, and uh, and certainly the the thirty current owners uh, would not mind splitting up a billion dollars between them. I was going to say, I, I think that would have been my final presentation. I would have walked up to the executive board, laid a $500 million cashier's check on the table, and walked out. What more? Well, at this point, we've heard it all. We've seen it all. What more is there to do but say, here's your money? But I will, I will say there's a real concern. Um, the value of the Canadian dollar was brought up yesterday, and Commissioner Bettman kind of sidestepped it a little bit, didn't really, didn't really give it the due that I think it deserves. The reason the Nordiques were sold and left Quebec in the first place was the value of the Canadian dollar, which was actually right about where it is now, 75 cents to the American. So for every, for every Canadian dollar you take in, you're paying out $1.25 in salary. Um, that's a, that's a tough business market. Chris, you're in finance, you know, if you're, uh, yeah, the one thing, and again, I'm uh, I'm not an economist, but uh, if I was the league, I would ask an economist. Okay, you know, the last couple of years, and this is also ties into since the you know when they signed the CBA, and everyone assumed that the salary cap would be going by leaps and bounds. So teams like the Rangers and the Blackhawks and all those kind of teams who are up against the Bruins or all up against the cap. They said, oh, well, in two, three years' time, we're going to get tremendous cap relief. It's going to go up, you know, $5 million next year, and then it'll be in the mid-70s, and they'll be in the 80s. Before you know, we'll have a $90 million cap. And we've seen the cap crawl, um, really because of this issue. But the thing is, if I was in Gary Bettman's ear, my question would be, let's get a couple of economists' opinions. You know, where do they see the Canadian dollar versus the U.S. dollar? You know, big picture, long term. Is this a is this a bump in the road for two three years span? Is this something to worry about over the next ten years? Um, you know, I, I don't know how much of an uh, an answer they can give on that. I mean, uh, obviously, when they signed the CBA, uh, they did not expect. I, I want to say it was almost uh, dollar to dollar, the Canadian dollar to the U.S. dollar. It was real close, yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, I think they have to take a long view on that issue, not just this is where it was, this is where it is today, this is where it was the last year and a half, and and not this will be the next 12 months, you know, how will it be the next 10 years? Because other than that, Quebec City is a, I know it's not the biggest city, one of the biggest cities in the world, but it is a perfect fit. You have hockey-crazed fans. For sure. You have a state-of-the-art arena already done. Um, all those check marks, and we talked about this mark in the last podcast or two, I can't remember. You know, it's not easy to find a city willing to write a $500 million uh, check for expansion and then also, you know, have a state-of-the-art build, uh, building ready to rock and, you know, uh, do what it takes on, on that front. Those are well, two very big checks. Well, that's why and, Seattle uh, right. That's why Seattle didn't make it into the process. They don't right, have an exactly. ownership group that's 
going to put up that kind of money and the city refused to budge they have a memorandum of understanding there that they need to have an nba team before they'll release public funds to build the new arena that the nhl would require the key arena is not an acceptable nhl team or nhl level arena and the last point is they, they there are a number of teams or there are a few teams I don't want to call it a watch list, but let's call it a worry list. You know, even if we take Florida out of it, Carolina, Arizona, and then maybe, you know, one of those teams, you know, two, three, four, five years from now, whatever it may be, it's not going to work. They're the ones that wind up in Seattle. And then they don't have to worry about writing two of those checks. They just have to worry about writing one of them. Well, I'll give you a little conspiracy theory on Arizona. They had their city council void their lease and everybody knows that and they signed the signed the the lease extension so they'll be playing there this year that lease expires the same 2017-18 season that is projected for the Las Vegas and Quebec City franchises to join the league as well so if Seattle are we have some good friends up in Seattle who've come on the show and they run a Seattle Sinbin podcast as well um, if they, if you, hey, Paul Rogers, if you guys can get in your city council's ear and get that arena built, there might be a team without a home here, 2017 18. And that, you know, Carolina as well, um, I, I have no idea what their lease agreement is, but with Quebec and Vegas potentially joining the league, um, it doesn't address the the unbalanced conference issue so long term they're still i know the league wants to at least address that sooner or later and maybe they have to do it maybe they have to do it through uh i don't know relocation maybe a realignment of the current divisions uh, but that's another thing to get addressed i'd ask matt um with with uh, you know everybody likes to dump on the Panthers, everybody likes to dump on the Coyotes, and I, I'm kind of with Matt too. That was just conspiracy theory. I think Arizona can field a competitive hockey team here in the next couple of years, and I think they can be competitive financially in the Arizona market. Um, but I would ask, what what can what can the new teams learn from both the Panthers example of you know what do you say? One, I guess winning is the is the grand elixir, if you will. Um, one playoff appearance in fourteen years, and you know spiraling down in attendance to Dallas, who really haven't been making too many playoff runs lately either. But their attendance is on the upswing. What can hopefuls like myself and our friends in Quebec City learn from those two franchises' financial models? Well, I would say, um, number one, uh, I think Bill Foley is making the right moves. Uh, I, I read something uh, uh, the other day. He was quoted as saying that uh, uh, he's got plans to build a series of rinks across southern Nevada. 100%. Uh, so, so he's going to tap into the youth and adult rec leagues uh, and 
into those markets. That's something the Stars did uh, to great success when they moved to Dallas. They started building rinks across the Metroplex. And, um, uh, heck, I was one of the people who started playing as a result. I mean, I've, I've been watching hockey since 1980. But, uh, Me too. <laughs> I, I had never actually. That was a that was a good year for hockey. Yes, it was. It, it, it was, in fact, uh, no joke. The first hockey game I ever saw was the Miracle on Ice. <laughs> oh, really? <coughs> excuse but, me. Excuse me. Yeah, being being uh, an eight year old kid growing up in the Dallas area, all I knew was football, and then uh, you know we started following the Olympics and and. Uh, watched that game and and my brothers and my dad and i have been hooked ever since that's pretty much my i watched a few kings games being uh 12 i think at the time um but i had watched a couple seasons of kings hockey with the triple crown line back then with rogie vachon and the nets marcel dion charlie simmer dave taylor all those boys uh but yeah my family's always been big on the olympics too and and uh both winter and summer. If you have a USA on your jersey, I'm a fan for sure. And and yeah, watching that and still 12 years old, you're old enough to understand when you're having nuclear bomb drills in school how much you're supposed to hate the Russians. So the, that you you know you back at that time, um, it was always kind of in the back of your head, you know the, and I'm sure limited access to media back in. 7980 all we knew is what abc nbc and cbs told us but we were always uh the back of our head the russians could attack at any time so when we yeah that I, we don't need to expand on on the historical meaning of that game but our background to that is is one and the same matt uh definitely i was watching king's games before that but after that that was uh that was it i was hooked for sure but yeah bill foley that was a good that was a good year for Ken Morrow too. He won the uh, he was part of that uh, Stanley Cup uh, Miracle and Ice team, and yes, then he went to Long Island, New York, and won the Stanley Cup for New York Islanders. That's uh, I'd say it was a pretty good year. Not not shabby, not shabby. We had and, some, and still works for the Islanders, by the way. We had some uh, we had some Kings win the gold medal and the Stanley Cup in the same year, except it was for Canada. Now that doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I said that with tongue-in-cheek, but yeah, for sure. Um, good year for those guys, but uh, not so good for Ryan Miller, I think. Anyway, yeah, Mr. Foley, um, I've had a chance to meet and talk with him a couple times, and he does. He, he, he has he his has pulse right now in Las Vegas uh, big time. He, he is. He's already... He's already starting the plans, like you said, to build the youth rinks and, you know, reaching out to the community with the ticket drive. And, and there's what a lot of people don't understand here is that there's 2.2 or so million people here. And I, I'm not going to listen to, you know, all the naysayers. And there's plenty. Trust me. We have our Twitter wars. But, um, Oh, you guys can't draw for minor league baseball. How are you going to support a hockey? If you look at the minor, uh, you guys lost two minor league hockey teams. Well, both teams, uh, minor league hockey teams, the, the latest, the Las Vegas Wranglers, had been in 
in play for 14 years. They were always in the top half of the league in attendance, and they were refused a new lease at their arena, which was at the Orleans Hotel and Casino. Shame on you guys. But uh, there's a dedicated, I mean, they, they played at a 7,800-seat arena. Every weekend they played was sold out. Middle of the weeks were five, 6,000 fans there. And if you look around the league, that's right, you know, league average or better every year they played. And it wasn't a, a, oh, we didn't support the team. It was, for some reason, the Orleans didn't want them as a tenant anymore. And they were unable to procure a new place to play. Same thing happened with the Las Vegas Thunder when they came here. They were in the top five in league attendance, top seven in league attendance, until the Thomas and Max said, nope, that's it. This is your last year. We don't want you anymore. Which I don't, I've never really heard anybody locally say what their reasons were. I know behind the scenes with the Thunder, the ownership group, the Stickneys and the, the Thomas and Mac regents, um, there was a lot of friction there, so that might have had something to do with it. But it wasn't because we weren't league average or above in attendance supporting the franchises here and also i hear the transient population thrown around well i don't know what a transient population even is a lot of people move here not so many move out we've gone from about four hundred thousand twenty 20 years ago to over 2 million now i've been here since 89 um i've I know a lot of hockey fans, and I know there's a lot of people that have moved here from Boston and Chicago and Montreal and Toronto and all the traditional cold-weather sites, and every one of them that I know has bought season tickets already. Um, it doesn't mean they're not going to show up and support Las Vegas because they're Minnesota fans. It's like me. I grew up a Kings fan. I'm going to root for Las Vegas just as hard as I root for the Kings until they play the Kings, <laughs> of course. Right. But uh, that does that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that oh, I'm a Blackhawks fan. I ain't going to no Las Vegas game. Nothing could be further from the truth. And I spoke with Clint Malarchuk on the show early on in the in the history of the show, and he was a goaltender for the Las Vegas Thunder in the '90s. And he said the fans here were were just as and and oddly enough, he happened to play in Quebec City as well. And he said the fans here were just. You know, when we got to the games, we were just as rowdy and boisterous as the fans in Quebec City. And that's Clint Malarchuk talking, not me. Um, and, he, and the casino comp giveaway, blah, blah, blah. In Clint Malarchuk's own words, those fans were there to see hockey. They were not there on casino tickets. Um, so that's that's Clint talking. That's not me. That's a player's perspective. So I don't think... And I got to think... I, I, I'm sorry, Mark. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was on kind of a rant. Jump right in. I, I and I have to think, and Mark, you could you could probably answer this better than me. But I have to think that uh, this being this if they land a franchise, this would be the first professional team in the city of Las Vegas. I mean, even people who aren't hockey fans, uh, I'm not going to say I'm not saying all. There's going to be a lot of people jumping on that bandwagon and, and, and supporting the team, saying, "Hey, it's our first professional team." I mean, this and I, you know. Uh, because hockey is so it's bet on so little, uh, whereas the other sports it could be a little bit different. You know, this might be the only professional team they ever get, so people could really rally. I could really see a lot of those and everything else you just said, which were excellent points. I could see a lot of people, uh, other people who aren't even hockey fans, rallying around the team. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Uh, for everybody, everybody I know is excited about it. Um, I've got longtime friends that have been here almost, you know, as long or longer than me. And 
everybody and I know is, is like thirsty for professional sports. And yes, you know my my wife and kid go to uh, go to a few stars games for baseball every summer. But it's hard to sit outside when it's 120 degrees for three hours, um, and in a, in a stadium that was built in 1980. So um, they draw five six thousand a game. Um, we we went to plenty of. You know, I got my Las Vegas Wranglers jerseys in the closet just like a bunch of other people. But people that, you know, I, I'm a hockey on my sleeve fan. You know, it's not a secret to anybody that I'm a, a hockey freak. And, you know, they're all getting excited about it too. They're starting to come over and watch the games a little more often, trying to learn a little bit more about the games. And uh, the, the story last fall uh, – NBA playoffs is a big time in Vegas for betting purposes, and the demographic here really does enjoy basketball. So for the first time ever, I went into, uh, I think it was Applebee's. Um, call us up, sponsor the show. I think it was Applebee's. Um, and they had the four big screens behind the bar or whatever, and they had two separate hockey games on and only one playoff one basketball playoff game and then I think CNN or something was on the other channel. But that's that's such a change in just the, the culture of the city is if the NBA playoffs and the NHL playoffs to go into a place and see more hockey on TV than basketball, the culture's changing and we're ready. And obviously the fans in Quebec City have always been ready for hockey. And I think they're going to be two new additions um, that are going to do great things for the league. I wanted to ask Matt again, um, going back to the Panthers when they were brand new, I think their second or third year, right? They were in the cup final and they were, they had rats raining down on the ice. It was, uh, it was a fan festival there in Florida. If, and Bill Foley's on record saying that he's going to have a playoff team in three years and compete for a Stanley cup in eight years. Um, the way the league is set up, it's definitely possible to build a playoff team in three years. Um, I'm not going to go into the eight-year Stanley Cup thing uh, at the risk of upsetting some Toronto Maple Leaf fans. It's taken them a little bit longer. <laughs> but but uh, I will say, how can what can Vegas learn if we don't go to the playoffs in the first five years and, and uh, still reaching out into the community that maybe the Florida Panthers weren't able to achieve? Well, I, I think uh, there there are some lessons that can be drawn. I mean, certainly it's it's going to help if you can make it to the Stanley Cup final in your third year of existence, uh, <laughs> for sure. But uh, but failing that, uh, you know, some some things that the Panthers are doing now uh, to to reach out to the community and build their fan base. You know, they're they're going to have uh, radio broadcasts of games in Spanish. Um, Interesting, and, uh, because well, you know, you've got such a huge sure. Spanish-speaking population there. Uh, it it makes sense. It's it's uh, maybe a bit surprising that they they haven't uh, done it sooner or or done it consistently. I think maybe they tried it uh, many years ago. Uh, tried it for a couple years and then discontinued it. That's a great idea. Um, but uh, well, and and also thinking about Las Vegas. Uh, I, I, of course, really don't know anything about the demographics. I just know from personal experience, uh, the last several times I've been 
in Las Vegas. It seems to me like a lot of the dealers in the casinos are Russian or otherwise Eastern European. Um, I, I have to think there are some hockey fans in that group, and for and, sure, uh, so could it, could a Las Vegas franchise do something with that? You know, I'm I don't know if uh, maybe a radio broadcast in in Russian or Czech or what have you um, would work, but but something similar, some sort of outreach to that community, uh, I think, could be a benefit. Well, that end, we we do have a strong Latino population here, just similar to to Florida. So I think we should start with a Spanish. I mean, I'm in the I'm a union electrician, and you know the construction trades are full of people that speak Spanish, as well as this the hotel service industry is also full of people that speak Spanish. So that'd be that's a great idea. In fact, I'm gonna have to bring that up with the proper people that that when they do put together their broadcast team, they. That'd be a great way to just get started getting into the community is to right from the get-go have a Spanish broadcasting. It's a fantastic idea. I, I think that's Actually, a good well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I, uh, not to get off topic, but I had one last question for Matt, mm-hmm. and that was, do you have a, let's say, a sleeper team this year in the NHL, not picking Dallas or Florida, that you say, watch out for this team uh, in terms of I could see them in the conference finals, either in the East or the West. Is there one team that you feel like that kind of has a little bit of your eye? Uh, anyone jump out, like, potentially that could su- surprise people a bit? Or take a bigger step than people think? Um, I would not be at all surprised to see the Columbus Blue Jackets break through this season. Uh, I I think the injuries, what if they have over 500 man games lost to injury last year? Uh, That's the only thing that kept them out of the playoffs uh, at that time. And and with the acquisition of Brandon Saad, people people talk about their defense being a question mark. I think if, if Ryan Murray can stay healthy, and, and play at least 70 games this season, uh, I think they're going to be in good shape, and I could see them really making some noise in the playoffs. Um, as, as far as maybe not necessarily a playoff team, I'm really curious to see how much the Buffalo Sabres improve. Um, last year, I believe the, the Panthers set a league record for season-over-season Improvement. I think they they uh, picked up 25 points over two years ago. Um, I could see Buffalo picking up about 30 points. That still wouldn't make them a playoff team. That would give them 84 points on the season. But I, I think they could be dramatically improved over last year. Very interesting. Mark, do you have uh, any last questions like that, uh, Lee? Let's go. Uh, let's go, vice versa. What teams that were in the playoffs last year do you see taking a step back? Are, are you asking Chris or asking me? I'm asking you, Matt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I have a dream. Um, I have a dream that this year will be the year that the Detroit Red Wings miss the playoffs. 
I've, I've been predicting it for about four years now, so I've got to be right sometime. Stay with um, it, man. They, I, I think maybe, you know, with the new coach, uh, I, I think I heard your, your podcast, your Atlantic Division preview, uh, y'all were talking about how their, their new coach even sounds like Mike Babcock. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, but uh, I, I think maybe there's there's just enough disruption. Um, also, with Datsuk, I don't know if he's even skating yet, is he? No, he's not. Uh, I, I think their core players are, are maybe just a little too old now, a little too fragile. Uh, uh, and this might be the year that they miss. Of course... My nightmare is that the Red Wings miss the playoffs and then win the draft lottery and get Austin Matthews, who becomes Iserman 2.0, and uh, you know then they go on another 30-year playoff streak. I, I'd like to see I, I Austin have, stay I in Arizona. About, well, yeah, he's, I tell you what, you know Arizona last year, not, not that I'm a Coyotes fan or anything, but... You know, obviously, they got the short end of the stick, falling back a spot. If there was a franchise or market that needed to land either Eichel or McDavid the most, it was probable it was the Coyotes of those teams. With Austin Matthews being from, is he from Phoenix, Mark? He's from the Phoenix area, yeah. Okay. I mean, they're going to be the worst team in the league. I feel confident about that. Although, with the new lottery rules and... Um, not going to be easy. I mean, the odds are against them. I really want to see Austin Matthews land in Arizona. I agree, hundred percent. And I and I, I feel like that could, you know. And I heard something this week on a uh, listening to an interview. I love to give credit who said it, but um, I can't remember. This happens when you get older. But um, people feel that Austin Matthews, if he was a year older in this past draft, that. Many teams would have drafted him ahead of Eichel, which is saying something. Wow. Yeah, I, I was surprised to hear that. So uh, I really want to see Boston Matthews wind up in uh, Arizona. I mean, I know the way the new lottery system is, it's, even if you have the worst record, you only have a 20% chance. But that's, and the fact that to have that kind of potential franchise player land there with all the other talented youngsters that they have, and he's a homegrown. Kid. Absolutely, boy, that would be that. that that's the kind of it's kind of you know thunderbolt uh, that franchise needs. You know that that could really that could keep the franchise in Arizona. Uh, he could have the impact that Mike Madonna had here in Dallas. Um, you know, when when the Stars moved down here, their their first season in Dallas, Mike Madonna scored fifty goals. And that's the only time he did that in his career. In fact, I think he that's the only time uh, he scored more than 40 in his career. And that 50-goal season, it, it caught everyone's eye. It made people Stars fans from the get-go. To have a superstar like that in, in a brand-new market was just huge. And now, granted, Arizona's not a new market, but having a homegrown superstar a bona fide superstar that that could be tremendous absolutely and i was i was along that same lines i was going to kiddingly uh tell 
Mr. Foley the next time we, we sit down that uh, he needs to trade for Jason Zucker right away and get that homegrown blood back into Las Vegas too. Jason Zucker of the Minnesota Wild. Um, yeah, we need to bring him back here and get him in a Las Vegas sweater for sure. I have one last question for both of you guys, actually, just uh, I meant to ask before. Do we all still feel confident that in two years' time, so not next season, but the 2017, the 2018 season, that both Quebec and Vegas not only will get franchises, but they'll be up and running and playing that season? I, I'm, I'm confident that Vegas will be fielding the team in 2017-18. Um, How about you? Okay. What, what I was going to say that the season ticket drive was contingent on Vegas having a team for the 2016-17 season. And the scuttlebutt was that that timeline had to get pushed back for 2017-18 so they could give Seattle a chance to build their arena. And then when that didn't happen... <coughs> Excuse me, the the timeline had already been delayed, but we're ready. We'll be we'll be playing hockey now. The the only question I have is, will the Canadian dollar impact the league's decision to put a team in Quebec? Because I know they're ready too. Um, I'd say for Vegas, I'd be ninety nine point nine nine percent sure, but I might have slipped down to about the value of the Canadian dollar to. 75% sure that Quebec City gets a team. What do you think, Matt? I, I think they're both going to end up with teams. Uh, I think uh, from uh, money aside, from a scheduling standpoint, obviously it's much easier to have an even number of teams. And I know the, the NHL has run with an odd number in the past. Uh, you know, when I became a fan, they had 21 teams. Um but uh, I, I think the the lure of the the five hundred million dollar expansion fee is going to prove too much. And, and as far as concerns about the Canadian dollar, um, I I hear a lot of this uh, in regards to Quebec, but I'm not hearing it in regards to Winnipeg. And I would think it would be a bigger issue in Winnipeg because it's a smaller market with the smallest arena in the league. That's a good point. Uh, and, but no one's, no one's talking about Winnipeg. They, they seem to be all right. Now they're not a cap team and they never will be as long as they're in that arena. But, but, uh, they're competitive certainly. And, and that, that's another factor is the salary cap. You know, I, I think that's going to allow, uh, Quebec. If, if this, you know, if we turn the clock back uh, to the pre-cap era, uh, with the Canadian dollar being what it is, I would say no, they don't. They don't get a team. Uh, but with the cap in place, you you've got a measure of cost certainty, and uh, so I, I think they will end up with a team, and I think both teams will begin play in the fall of 2017. One thing I will say about that, though, the that $500 million expansion free, um, Quebecor is going to have to pony up $625 million Canadian in order to cash in a $500 million U.S. check there. So it's a little more, 
expensive when you're talking big numbers. Obviously, if you're talking 75 cents on the dollar, the magnitude of that could get lost when we're talking about billion-dollar industries. But, you know, I, my, I hope Quebec City gets a team. There's been a lot of people in Quebec that reached out to us when we started the show, and we've we've talked some great hockey and met some great people, and, and we're definitely rooting for them to get their team. I just, with all that, with that kind of money involved, um, the the love of the game so to speak or the passion of the fans uh will get overlooked if they think it could turn into a financial boom but i'm rooting for them and i do think they get in chris you got any last words no i just want to thank maddie gave us a, a tremendous insight on uh uh these two teams who i think are two intriguing teams florida and dallas and um and obviously how it plays into expansion, too, of new markets. And, uh, you know, it's just, I tell you, I'm really excited for the season to start because uh, uh, there are so many teams in the mix. And, uh, you know, in the cap era more so every year. I mean, I could, I mean, I could, you know, we've talked about this, Mark. I could probably come up easily with six primetime contenders to win the Cup this year. Mm-hmm. And I might be able to come up with another four or five kind of not, maybe not number one contenders, but 1A contenders, and um, not a lot of sports, uh, you know, in other in the other sports you can say that about going to the season, so this should be a very, very exciting season. All right. Hey, Matt, why don't you, uh, why don't you tell the listeners where they can find your writing? All right. Well, I appreciate that, and, and, and first of all, thanks a lot for having me on the show, guys. I've thoroughly enjoyed it, and, uh, and uh, hopefully I can come back uh, later on in the season and, and uh, we can talk about either how right or how wrong I was about Dallas and Florida. <laughs> For sure. We'd love to have you back. But uh, I, I write, uh, I cover both the Stars and Panthers at thehockeywriters.com and uh, I'm also on Twitter at BigTex1926. BigTex1926. All right. Well, being down here in the Southwest, we do have a lot of uh, Arizona, uh, Los Angeles, Anaheim people that listen to the show. So if you want to, if you want to listen to some Southwest hockey or read about some Southwest hockey talk, Big Text nineteen twenty six, or look for him on the Hockey Writers. Matt, again, thank you so much. You've been a great guest. We're going to get out of here, you guys. Hope hope you have a great day. And Chris, we'll talk soon. Matt, we'll definitely have you back. It's been a great time. All right, thanks a lot, guys. All right, have a great day. You too. Chris? Hey, hey, Mark. Yeah, what a what a great guest Matt was, huh? He knows what oh, he's talking he's about. tremendous. Are you kidding me? He's tremendous. I, uh, I tell you, the Hockey Writers um, community uh, is a bunch of uh, really good guys and gals. There are a number. There are a few gals who write too, and um, like like Matt. Uh, who, um, you know, write great articles and really very, very insightful. So he uh, he really uh, gave great insights about those two teams. I tell you, at the end, I don't have either team making the playoffs. And then at the end of this podcast, I feel like, well, maybe I should go back and think about my predictions. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. But, yeah, very, very, uh, very, very insightful. And he really... Uh, uh, knows both of those squads inside and out and stuff and I thought he gave uh, a great perspective 
uh, in terms of, you know, lessons learned in those new, relatively quote unquote new markets for absolutely uh, Vegas and Quebec. Yeah, I did. Uh, I'm telling you, the Spanish radio insight was uh, definitely something that that uh, the Las Vegas team will have to do here. That's uh, that's that's imperative. That'll that'll expand. You know, you got to reach out to everybody in the community, and that'll be a great idea. Well, yeah. Chris, before, I'm a, uh, before I let you run, I just yeah. let you know I have reached out to a couple other people. For sure, we got uh, and we got a lot of great guests coming up. So everybody listening, keep tuning in. We're going to have more content as we go along throughout the season. We're going to keep you up to date on any any and all of your favorite teams. So drop us a line at Vegas Hockey pod on twitter or email the show mark warner at vegashockeypodcast.com and let us know what you want to talk about we'll be glad to throw you into a segment um let us know let us know what you want to hit what you want to hear we'll talk about it we'll cover it and with that chris again thanks it's been a great show and we're gone